This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Some of the chaos that's in some of your lives, not not everybody, but some of the chaos that's in some of your lives, God's trying to save you from yourself. I just want you to think about something for a moment. I don't think we're ever going to figure out why God allows what he allows and stops what he stops because he's infinite and we're finite. But can I leave you with two things? Number one, we don't know all the things God has prevented. Do you know why? Because he prevented them. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. And in this episode, we're finishing off a message from Pastor Jeff where he's been asking some tough questions, but reminds us that God always provides through the chaos. We're continuing to look into how we can resist the evil one who wants to destroy everything good in your life and in my life. It's part of our series titled The Resistance, and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to all the episodes of this series and the other episodes just like this series. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds. But for now, let's finish this message together with Pastor Jeff. In Romans 8, Paul gives you the answer. He doesn't solve the problem of evil, but he does resolve it. And look at how he does it. It's beautiful. It's, it's broken up into two parts. In the word, here we go. He says this, what then, this is after the context of talking about evil now for about three chapters, what then shall we say in response to these things, to all the atrocities and chaos of the world? If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on to say, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns? And he goes on to say, no one. You see what he's doing in this first segment? Here's what he's doing. He is saying this. No matter how bad things are inside you, God still loves you. No matter how bad things are inside you, God still loves you. Now, you think about this for a moment. How many of you have ever done anything that you stood back and said, wow, I cannot believe I just did that? Am I the only one? You've never flipped anybody off on the 210. Yeah. You say, well, actually, Pastor Jeff, when I did that, I knew I was capable of that. <laughs> but have you ever done anything? You stay back and say, I cannot believe I did that. Now, I told you something that I did when I was 16 years old, and I thought my dad was going to kick me out of the house, and he didn't, thank God. Showed me grace and mercy. But I remember feeling the way I felt after I did I thought, wow, I cannot believe you, Jeffrey A. Vines, did that. You know, you know, how did you? The Bible tells us that when you do that, and you do do that, that the devil automatically moves in, and what does he do? You're a worthless man. You're pathetic. You call yourself a Christian. You go to church. You might as well stop. And whatever you do, you don't deserve to pray anymore. See, that's, that's not God. Because what God does, he, he does this. Hey, wait, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. 
You weren't saved because you were good, and you're not kept because you were good. He says, who is it that justifies? He, he says, God justifies. Why does he do that? He's trying to help you understand the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion says you justify yourself. Be good, be good, be good. Don't flip people off on the 210. Be good, be good, be good. The Bible says you ain't good enough to be good. Try because that's the best way life is lived. And if you live within my parameters, it will be the abundant life, but you're going to fail. And when you do, God says, who can bring a charge against you? Nobody, because I'm the one who justified you. And that's good news. So he says, no matter what's going on inside you, and some of you got some pretty bad stuff happening inside you. How do I know? Because it's happening in me too. So whatever's happening inside you, no matter how bad it is, God still loves you. Now, then he, then he goes to the second argument. He says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, okay, now he's shifted gears. Trouble, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. You see what he's doing? He's saying, look at the world around you. Look at how, yes, there's evil, there's chaos, there's things that are unfathomable, but God still loves you no matter how bad things are inside you. Then he moves on to the second argument. God still loves you no matter how bad things are outside of you. See, oh, we love the first part. Oh, yeah, I'm down with that, Pastor Jeff. God loves me no matter what man's happening in me. I like that. And Paul says, okay, you like that? Good. Understand it's connected to something else. God also loves you even when there's bad stuff happening outside of you. And when you start to doubt that, think about it. Have you ever seen something, say, man, that is just pure evil. Or you get frustrated because things aren't going the way you think they ought to go in your life or around you. And the temptation will come. The temptation will come that, you know what, God, I can't trust him. His promises, his power, and his providence. I can't trust him because, look, if he were in charge, it wouldn't be happening like this. And Paul says, wait a minute. God still loves you no matter what is going on inside you, but he still loves you no matter what's going on outside. You're not God. Now, I think it's amazing every time I read. I've read everything Corey Ten Boom has written. I, I, and I read them over and over again, usually around Christmas, New Year's. I get in a cold place in the corner and just read The Hiding Place. Or What a godly woman. A woman that can go through what she went through and still say, no matter how deep the pit of despair, God's love is deeper still. Here's what I want to do. Every time the Bible gives you a truth like this, every single time, it, it connects ultimate reality with everyday living. So Paul says, this is the way reality is. God loves you. And now, how can I apply that to everyday living? If I have a hard time applying it, I find that if I can go back to the Old Testament, I will usually find a story that solidifies what's been said in the New. They're so well connected. You know, I told you that the Old Testament isn't a story about how good people are. There's nobody good in the Old Testament, I'm telling you. Have you ever read it? That's the difference between the Old Testament and other religious books. Other religious books of legend tell you these great people. The Old Testament is filled with bad people, man. Can you say Abraham and Hagar? I mean, come on. Nothing goes, I mean, everybody's doing the thing that God told them not to do, and yet he's still merciful and gracious and kind. It's not a book about how bad men are. It's a book about how good God is. And so here's what happens. I want to take you to a city by the name of Dothan. Two people, one city generations apart. The first is Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. The problem is, you've heard it so often that the stories become somewhat benign. 
Because Joseph is a spoiled little brat, if you know the story. Because his daddy, who's living his life vicariously through Joseph, because Joseph is handsome and he's strong and he's well-built, the Bible says, and he's smart. The Bible says his dad makes him a coat of many colors. Now, it, dads, it's not wise to give one son a coat of many colors without giving the other sons a coat of many colors. What does he think the other sons are going to do? They hate Joseph. And then sometimes, guys, if you have a good dream, keep it to yourself. Because Joseph has these dreams. He's growing up in a time of primogeniture when the younger serves the older. But he comes up with these dreams of the stars and the sun and the moon and the, the stalks of corn and the wheat. And they're all bowing down to Joseph. Of course, okay, that's all well and good because it's a prophecy that's going to come true. But Joseph, keep that to yourself, man. And he keeps telling his brothers, oh, hey, let me tell you this dream I had. Hey, this dream, you're going to serve me. Okay, don't do that. Or you'll get killed. Because he goes out to Shechem to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers. They're not there. They moved on to Dothan. And Dothan is like, like kind of, what happens in Dothan stays in Dothan. Not because it's unpopular, but because it's so isolated, nobody will ever hear about it. So his brothers say, this is our opportunity. We're so isolated, let's kill Joseph. So they take Joseph, and the Bible says they stripped him. The Hebrew word actually means skinned. So it's very violent. They rip his clothes off. They throw him down into the pit. The Hebrew word is catapulted. They just threw him into the pit, hoping maybe that the fall itself would kill him. And the Bible says that Joseph cries out from the pit. I mean, he actually, the story says he cried. He's, he's weeping. Please help me. Please. And he says, why, God? Why is this happening? And you know what happens in the story? Nothing. Nothing. He just cries and nobody responds. And this starts a series of chaotic events, slavery, torture, prison. We're not talking about weeks and months. We're talking about years off of Joseph's life. Now get this. If you know anything about the story, though, you know that if everything that happened to Joseph did not happen in the exact order, in the exact timing, then everybody in the story dies. The nation of Israel dies of starvation and famine. The Messianic bloodline is ruined and there's no Messiah to come. Everything that seemed chaotic in Joseph's life actually ended up bringing salvation not only to Joseph, but to God's people. Because Joseph will end up becoming the ruler of all of Egypt and will provide the food necessary to keep the Jewish nation, the Hebrews, alive. And yet, if you read through the book of Genesis, all the way up until you get to Joseph, you hear about God, God's name, God is speaking, God is working with his people. Then you get to Joseph, God never speaks. So Joseph's not only going through this, he's going through this without God speaking to him. Matter of fact, God's never even referred to. He's assumed but never referred to. It seems that God is completely and utterly absent in Joseph's life. But the reality is this. Though God seems to be completely absent on the surface, he was managing down to the minutest details all the chaotic, awful, terrible things that were happening in Joseph's life. Every single one of them. Now, I've told you my affinity for African-American preachers. I love those guys, man. It's like God just gave them a special gift. They have a way of telling a story. They're dramatic. I heard a pastor preaching on the text of Joseph one time, an African-American pastor. It wasn't Pastor Leroy Brown that I tell you about in Knoxville, Tennessee. This was another guy, a fiery guy, and he did this. Now, I can't do it as good as he can for obvious reasons. <laughs> but the material's so good, I've got to try. So you're just going to have to imagine. Now, I still have this message that he preached on uh, VHS. Now, uh, for you young guys, that's a big square box. <laughs> it goes into a thing called a VCR. You actually can rewind and fast forward. And if you don't rewind, they charge you 50 cents. 
And so, in that sermon, here's what he said, and I love it. It's so good. He, he stands up, and he's got this authoritative voice, and he says, had Joseph not been given a coat of many colors, his brothers would not have been jealous. Had Joseph's brothers not been jealous, they would not have thrown him into the pit. Had they not thrown him into the pit, Joseph would not have been sold to the passing Ishmaelites. But had they not been sold, or had he not been sold to the passing Ishmaelites, he would not have gotten down to Egypt. Had Joseph not gotten down to Egypt, he would not have been sold on the oxen block. Had he not been sold on the oxen block, Joseph would not have been purchased by Potiphar. Had he not been purchased by Potiphar, he would not have become overseer over Potiphar's household. Had Joseph not become overseer over Potiphar's household, he would never have been falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar. Had he not been falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph would have not been thrown into prison. And had Joseph not been thrown into the prison, he would have never met the baker nor the butler. And had Joseph never met the baker nor the butler, Joseph could not have interpreted their dreams. And had he not interpreted their dreams, the butler would have never been before the great king. And had he never sat before the great king, the butler could have not told the king about Joseph. And had the butler not told the king about Joseph, Joseph would have not stood before the great king. And had Joseph not stood before the great king, he could not have interpreted the king's dreams. And had Joseph not interpreted the king's dreams, he would not have found favor with the king. And had he not found favor with the king, Joseph would not have been ruler over all of Egypt. And had he not been ruler over all of Egypt, Joseph could not have saved the entire nation of Israel. And then he put his foot on the ground and said, Joseph wasn't going down. He was going up. (laughs) You can imagine that, can't you? The thing about the story is, man, I wish I could tell it like he did, is that Joseph... His predicament, God was not only saving the nation of Israel, God was actually saving Joseph too. Because Joseph, if he's not rejected and sold into slavery, the thing about Joseph is he he needed to be saved from his pride and his arrogance and the wicked person he was becoming. Some of the chaos that's in some of your lives, not not everybody, but some of the chaos that's in some of your lives, God's trying to save you from yourself. And that's the case of Joseph. Now, here's what somebody says. Somebody says, well, Pastor Jeff, and I, I know what this is like because I've been there. I said, Pastor Jeff, I got it. I got it. But man, I can think of at least a dozen different ways God could have achieved the same thing without taking Joseph through all this chaos. And then I would say, how? Name one. And they'd say, well, send an angelic messenger. Send an angel down and say, Joseph, you are a spool rotten little brat. And Jacob, you're an unwise, idolatrous father. You can't give one coat without giving the others. And you brothers, you're angry and you're bitter and a murder's about to take place. Now stop it. Knock it off all of you. And you say it would have been just like touched by an angel. Right? And everybody would have said, oh, we see. And the light comes down. Group hug. We're all good. Oh, we're so sorry. But the problem is this is not touched by an angel. This is reality. And the reality is that if an angel comes down and tells you about all your faults, you're not going to change. You've got to be shown your faults. Nobody ever changed by somebody telling you, which is why the cross is so brilliant in the mind of God. Let's keep going. Now that's Joseph and that's Dothan. Now I want to move centuries ahead. Now, this is shorter, Elisha. Elisha and his servant. Dothan, same place. Dothan, when Joseph was living, was an isolated place. But now under Elisha, it's a, it's a hubbub. You know, it's a city. Things are happening. And now here we have Elisha and his servant, and they're surrounded by the enemy army. The enemy army, bad dudes, evil, chaotic. They want to come down and destroy Elisha, and they want to destroy the city because of Elisha's righteousness and his faithfulness to God. Elisha's servant says to Elisha, Elisha, we're in deep trouble. Look at this. And what does Elisha say? Those who are for us 
outnumber those who are against us. Now, of course, Elisha's servant can't see the angelic army, so he probably said something to Elisha like, man, you got to stay out of the communion juice. <laughs> He's drinking too much communion juice. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, God opens his eyes, though. He opens his eyes, and all of a sudden, he sees the chariots of fire, and the chariots of fire come down, and they smite. I love that word. <laughs> they smite the enemy army, and the chaos and everything is rectified. Everything is put right. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Second Kings tells us these chariots of fire come down. And we read it and we say, okay, I choose story B. That's the kind of God I want. I don't want a God that works everything out over time and chaos and everything. I want the God, that, when I got a problem, Holy Spirit smacked down. Spirit of God comes down, boom, everything's good right away. That's, that's my God. Now, what I want you to see here, same Bible, same God, same place, different response. In one case, two people are crying out, save me from the pit. Save me, save me, Joseph cries out. Nobody shows up. Elisha, save me, and chariots of fire and angelic army show up. Holy Spirit, smack down. That's the kind of God we want. Now, here's a here's million-dollar question. Why the difference? The answer, I have no idea. <laughs> Do you know why I have no idea? Because I'm severely underqualified for this job called God. See, he had all the facts. God does. I don't. So things that look chaotic might seem chaotic. But what I do know is God was caring just as much for Joseph in his silence that he was for Elijah and all, or Elisha and all the traumatic action. In one case, it was a simple salvation, rescue Elisha. In the other, it seemed to be more complex, the saving of a nation and the protection of the messianic bloodline. I just want you to think about something for a moment. I don't think we're ever going to figure out why God allows what he allows and stops what he stops. Because he's infinite and we're finite. But can I leave you with two things? Number one, we don't know all the things God has prevented. Do you know why? Because he prevented them. And history, the Bible says, is his story, and it will always end according to God's plan, always. That's what Romans 8 means when it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. You know what the greatest miracle to me is? Here's, the greatest miracle to me is the fact that God allows the free will choices and decisions of millions and millions of people in generation after generation and still maneuvers it all together to accomplish his purpose in the end. That is the greatest miracle. And only God can do that. But while he's maneuvering things for his purpose, the Bible says Satan is maneuvering things for his. Now, what is his? He knows his end. He doesn't know the future, but he knows his future. He does. He knows he is going to lose and it's going to be all over. So what is his purpose? Here's where the rubber hits the road here, to take as many of us down with him as he can because he hates God so much. And here's how he does it. Number one, through philosophies, when people actually think they're so smart that God does not exist, and I've already shown, that's nonsensical. I'm hoping that if you're here and you consider yourself to be a deep thinker, that you heard this, wait a minute, gosh, you know, Jeff, he's got a point there. I mean, I don't like everything he says, but he's got a point. As soon as I assume evil, I'm assuming categories, and I'm assuming they're absolute, and I'm assuming... The moral law's got to come from somewhere, and we do so on the basic 
of believing that human life is sacred and has intrinsic worth. Jeff's got a point. I'm hoping that at least I'll start you thinking and say, man, my philosophy does not disprove the existence of God. It requires the existence of God. And then there are some of you who are mad at God. You're mad. You're mad because your life has not turned out the way you thought it should, or you're mad because things are happening in your life right now. And you know what the Bible asks you to do in 1 Peter? That verse in 4.19 says this. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, ooh, that's a hard line to take, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. When you're suffering according to God's will, commit yourself to the faithfulness of God. Admit that you don't have all the information and keep serving God because God loves you no matter how bad things are going inside you and he loves you no matter how bad things are on the outside of you. And it takes a faithful commitment and trust in God. I got my cross, like I said, and I'm asking you to keep it with you now wherever you go. You'll forget it sometime right beside your cell phone. But if you keep it with you most of the time, when the temptation comes, take it out and say, man, Christ died for me. I don't have to live like this anymore. And then when the other temptation comes, where you're saying, man, my life is so chaotic, God does not love me, I can't trust his power, his purpose, or his providence, admit that you're not God, that you're severely underqualified for the job, and remain faithful and allow him to complete his good work in you. Because one day it will all be over, and there will be no more chaos, no more evil, pain, and suffering. And he will be our God, and we will be his people. Can you do that? I think you can. Take strength and courage, but you can do it. And always keep in mind that there's one who wants to drag you down so that you would start to doubt the purpose, the power, and providence of God. Don't let him do it. God loves you no matter what's going on inside, no matter what's going on outside. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your love. I want to thank you for the power of this scripture. And I would ask you right now for those in the room that have been on the outside looking in for a long time because they just don't see how they can harmonize God and his sovereignty with the atrocious things that happen in this world. I pray that perhaps... For the first time, their eyes would have been open to the fact and the reality that the question of evil must be resolved in the context of God, not outside. Because outside the context of God, there's no such thing as evil. And I pray for those who are angry with God, that somehow they would make their peace right now with you, that they would trust you. They would trust your faithfulness even when things are chaotic. Because we simply don't have all the information. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side. But you do. And it requires trust. And the same God that did not withhold his son from us will not withhold any good thing. And we take our confidence in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts.
Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.